Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be discussing green-white in March the Machine. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. And just as a bit of a reminder about where we are, I believe that this will be the last episode about green-white. There are a few archetypes that I never got to discuss, but uh, I think that by next week, people will be uh, looking forward to Lord of the Rings. And so I'm going to try to do some early replay analysis of that one and then get into uh, fully covering it as the featured format since it will be available both in paper and arena, even though it's not a standard legal set. So as far as finishing out March the Machine content, there were, as I mentioned, some archetypes I never got to, including blue-black, which is a very strong archetype and certainly worth knowing about. Fortunately, I do think that it's an archetype that was pretty well explored by other content creators and on my stream. So I don't feel like it's a huge thing to be missing out on. It was included in a lot of polls and never won, I assume, because people felt like they already understood it. I didn't do a poll for this particular episode because with only one left, I've kind of felt like I had some things to say about Green White for a while and it never won the polls. But I kind of figured people didn't know what I wanted to do with it, and it was important to me to get to talk about it. As I mentioned before, I'm going to try to, since this is the end of the format, try to loop some of this into some stuff that you can kind of apply to other formats and stuff a little bit, but still mostly focusing on March of the Machine, of course. Big picture stuff, uh, this is green-white's an average performing archetype, uh, nothing special, not particularly good, not particularly bad. What's interesting to me about green-white is that it has several different builds or strategic, almost even philosophical approaches to what you want to be doing with the cards in green-white. So for my like notes and analysis of green-white for this podcast, I really didn't look uh, in any detail at the win rates of cards in 17 lands because I think that the way that I approach green-white in this format is very different than the way that players as an aggregated unit approach green-white. I think players as individuals likely approach green-white more homogeneously than I do. I suspect that, you know, the average uh, drafter of green-white decks in this format is probably just kind of like, you know, following data or tier lists or pick orders, whatever, whatever metrics they use to distinguish good cards from bad cards, taking the good cards, kind of trying to draft a curve and having some sort of like proactive-ish, mid-range-ish green-white deck which is not what I want to be doing. That deck can be fine. It can win. There are strong green and white cards. You can put them together into kind of a normal curve, play normal games of magic. It can all be fine, but that's not what I like to do. So to me, there are kind of three different driving principles that I would consider when drafting a green-white deck. The first and most obvious is plus one, plus one counters matter uh, as like a linear synergy deck uh, where you really follow like the signpost uncommons, your botanical brawlers, Kami of Whispered Hopes, Storm the Seed Core, 
Uh, I guess that's the two mana gold creature that has two plus and plus one counters and trample and gets another counter whenever one of your other things gets counters. Kami Whispered Hopes is the three mana one one that uh, puts an extra counter on things when they get counters and taps for mana. And Storm the Seed Core is the four mana sorcery that distributes four counters and some uh, uh, vigilance and trample this turn. So yeah, you you can just you know draft around those uh, cards. There are you know other card like that. That's just an example of some of the cards here. There are other cards in the set, of course, that uh, support this plus one plus one counter theme. You can really lean into it. Have a whole bunch of that, um, and you know, of course, your cards are going to be better than some of their parts when you're really leaning into an explicit synergy. The cards are going to do the thing that they say they do, as long as all of the cards in your deck are focused on doing that thing. That was where I started my first green-white decks in the format. Um, I played some sealed early on where I saw that like really pop off and do some powerful things. My first draft of the format, I did that uh, and had a deck that was very, very, very deeply synergistic and had some really explosive games. But I also had some games where I just really got slaughtered by uh, some death touch creatures and removal. And my conclusion from that uh, pretty quickly put me very, very far off of green-white. I was avoiding drafting green-white at all for a long time because I felt like the removal in the format is so good that this investment in building big creatures and these linear synergies was a really dangerous place to be. You could have some, you know, great like not draws that would win the game really quickly, but I felt like uh, games were largely out of my hands and the stuff that people were finding early in the format that was strongest was just really good against what green-white was doing. So it seemed like, okay, green-white is about this thing. This thing is poorly positioned in the format, so I shouldn't do it. And then later I realized that, you know, you can adapt to that. You can accept that the format has good removal and draft your deck in different ways to be less vulnerable to that. And that leads to kind of a bifurcated draft strategy where you can attempt to uh, position your deck well in the format either by going big or by going small and focus on strategic synergies rather than like linear uh, card combo synergies. So I want to talk about those two approaches more than the like the linear synergy plus one plus one counter strategy, because I think that the plus one plus one counter strategy is actually the weakest of them and the most forward facing and obvious. So uh, in my notes, I kind of went deep you know, laid out skeletons of the cards that I see as kind of the like core commons in a control build and an aggro build. Listed the key uncommons and stuff like that. I'm gonna talk through that, but that's that's what I'm working with here. So um starting with the control deck. The control deck is really philosophically similar to what I've talked about before in both green blue and green black. Both of those are archetypes that have a lot of value two-for-ones uh, from you know their green cards and uh, then a bit of support in value cards from the other color and uh, kind of naturally play a decently good long grindy game 
as long as they can keep the game small. And so you really want to prioritize removal in both of those archetypes. Green-white control is the same deal. Uh, Green-white control is really, really similar to green-black control. Green-black control, you get, you know, your deadly derision ideally, and then uh, some other removal spells. Green-white control, instead of, you know, deadly derision, you have cut short, and then instead of your second tier, well, instead of, like, uh, final flourish, you have realm breakers grasp, and then, you know, you, you have some other removal spells to help out, like, where black has some uncommon removal, you get steel from existence in white. The black removal is better, but the white removal goes later. So you there's a decent chance that you actually get more high-quality removal in green-white than you do in green-black. And more importantly, you're going to get the best deck, the best removal in the color that's open. And so you can kind of be like drafting an open-ended green control deck that's taking whatever removal you see. And if that removal happens to be white, then you can position yourself into the like green-white control deck. So following the same principles as green-black, you want to you know take all of the efficient removal over all of the two-for-ones, and then all of the two-for-ones over all of the non-two-for-one, like you're just efficient aggro creatures and stuff like that. And so what you end up with is a deck where your key uncommons, these are the things that are going to be more valuable to you than other people and that are going to be putting you in this archetype and you're really going to be looking for to make your deck a lot stronger are cards like Norn's Inquisitor, the one mana or the two mana one one that incubates two and grows all your incubators. Tangled Skyline, the five mana green enchantment that gains five life and incubates five and gives all your facts in reach. Phyrexian Awakening, the white version of that, the three mana card that incubates four and gives your Phyrexians vigilance. Sandstalker Moloch, the green green one four two flash that uh, looks at four cards and finds a permanent if your opponent cast a blue or black spell this turn. Herbology Instructor, the uh, one three for two that gains three life and transforms into a three three that kills a creature. And Seal from Existence, the hard to cast Oblivion Ring with Ward. So, you know, that, that's a bunch of good defensive value cards a lot of those play really well with scroll shift and then scroll shift the white three mana flicker instant that draws a card plays well with a bunch of your commons you have uh converter beast most obviously but you also have a uh, converter beast is the four mana oh one that incubates five you also have the five mana three three that returns a creature from your graveyard to your hand in Wildwood Escort, you have Knight of the New Coalition, the four mana 2 2 that makes another 2 2 uh, Vigilance. You have Overgrown Pest, the three mana 2 2 that uh, looks at the top five cards for a land or double faced card. You have Blighted Burgeoning, the uh, Enchant Land that incubates two. So you, you have value all over the place in terms of having scroll shift targets. Scroll shift goes super, super late. I kind of think of this deck as like a scroll shift deck. So you have scroll shift, you have all those value cards. Uh, you have Alabaster Host Intercessor, the white land cycling creature, as your like top end two for one that gives you some extra removal. And then you can play, you know, wary thespians and portent trackers and 
Serpent Blade Assailant. Um, Serpent Blade is the Death Touch um, backup creature. Wary Thespians, the two mana three one surveil. Portent Trackers, the two mana one one that can untap a land or remove a counter from battle or add a counter to a battle. Seed of Hope, the uh, green opt, the look at two card or mill two, put a permanent from the milled cards in, into your hand, gain two life, can be good in this deck if you don't have too many other instants and sorceries. And so all of this comes together into a really synergistic controlling package that plays super, super well if you uh, end up opening some good, expensive green and white bombs. Uh, the the deck, the draft where I kind of like discovered and tried drafting this archetype was a draft where I opened Galta and I was like, how do I draft a green and white deck that takes advantage of a seven mana card? And so... If you open something like Galta or Sunscour or uh, Elish Norn Grand Cenobite, th- those would be good reasons to uh, look to be this style of deck um, if, you know, green and white are the open colors. Obviously, with those really strong mono white cards, you can just pair them in a control deck in any color combination. But if green's the open color, then it's really good to know about this kind of strategy. So that's the controlled approach. The other approach on the exact opposite end of the spectrum is the aggro approach. The key uncommons here are like Botanical Brawler, the green-white 2-2 plus one plus one counter guy, uh, Streetwise Negotiator, the 0-2 backup uh, creature that that does damage based on its toughness, Tandem Takedown, the kind of clear shot-ish variant, two creatures get plus one power and do damage to it, different thing. Storm the Seed Core, the four mana sorcery that puts counters on your guys. You know, just good aggressive cards. I mentioned Botanical Brawler. I talked about that earlier as being part of the plus one plus one uh, counters matters cards. Um, You're going to be doing a lot of that stuff. That's just like what the green and white cards are. But the difference here uh, from a deck that's like really focused on the plus one plus one counter synergies with stuff like Kami of Whispered Hopes is uh, what I'm doing in terms of my common pick order and stuff is that uh, rather than trying to get as many plus one plus one counters cards as I can, what I'm actually looking to prioritize is uh, Angelic Intervention as the top common. That's the trick that gives a creature protection and puts a plus one plus one counter on it. And then Aerial Boost, uh, Arachnoid Adaptation, and Cosmic Hunger over most creatures. And then, with a few exceptions, basically always taking the cheapest creature in the pack uh, if one of those like tricks isn't available. So that means really highly prioritizing even Placid Rot- Rotten Tail, the 1-1 Vigilance for green that you can exile from your graveyard to put two counters on something. Placid Rotten Tail is probably the worst of Placid, Placid Rotten Tail, Tarkir Dune Shaper, and Enduring Bond Warden. Tarkir Dune Shaper is probably the best of them. Dune Shaper is the 1 2 transform creature. Bond Warden's the 0 1 backup creature. But you want just like a lot of all of those. And then you want Halo Hoppers. And uh, the other common that you want to take highly is Bola Slinger. Um, that's the top end that you want. Uh, Bolas Slinger is the 4-mana 2-2 two, two 
backup creature, white creature that taps something. You can have Chomping Kavu, the backup green creature that makes uh, that can't be blocked by creatures power two or less, as a backup in that slot. I, I would take Bola Slinger probably over all the other creatures, and then the one drops over everything else. When I say the one drops over everything else, this is a deck where you're looking for a large number of copies of a small number of cards. And so you really want to plan your draft such that you're getting two picks out of each pack. You want to pay a lot of attention to which cards you think that you can table. Um, and so when I say value Tarkir Dune Shaper more highly than the other cards, you don't necessarily draft Tarkir Dune Shaper higher. If you think that you can table it, you take the other card that you want and then take the Dune Shaper on the wheel. If it's if you think you might not be able to table it, you want to take these when you can, make sure that you get them. And so part of that, part of the reason that I'm taking angelic interventions or acnoids adaptations and and aerial boosts highly is I think that it's harder to table, especially the white tricks, than it is to table some of these creatures that I want. Um, and also, I think you want like seven tricks or something, four to seven tricks. Four, four. I'd feel bad about if I didn't also have some removal. So anyway, yeah, like. The other creatures that you're looking for are like Weary Thespian, Iridescent Blade Master, uh, Sword Sworn Cavalier. These are just the two mana aggressive green and white creatures. And then uh, Sigiled Sentinel, the uh, Vigilance backup creature for three and white, is a little bit better than Serpent Blade Assailant, the Death Touch backup creature in green, but those are both fine but unexciting. Halo Hopper, you want to have enough ones that it's fantastic. And then Bola Slinger and Chomping Kavu. And then, like, those are the commons that you want in your deck. And then you want as many of the good, aggressive uncommons as you can find, of course. Um, ideally, you're, you know, taking the good uncommons early, tabling uh, most of the common. Like, none, none of the commons that you want should be high picks, basically. You'll take them when there's nothing else, but you'll plan to wheel most of them. And this deck... Uh, is really a, like the idea with this deck is the removal is really good and really efficient. The way that you beat it is by making it inefficient, forcing them to use their removal in spots where they're spending more mana on their removal than you spent on your creature, and being far enough ahead that those removal spells don't catch them up because you've spent so little mana developing. Then because their removal doesn't line up well against their creatures, they have to try to protect themselves with blockers, and then you have your Chomping Kabus and Bola Slingers to invalidate their blockers in addition to your combat tricks that let you send your little creatures into their big creatures and get a really big tempo swing by using a one or two mana combat trick to kill their three or four mana uh, blocker while getting damage in with your other creatures because you're presumably somewhat wide. This is a deck where I think you would often want to play 15 or 16 lands in a format where I generally don't want to go low on lands, but I'm really trying to have the lowest possible curve here. So it should be pretty uh, apparent that these two decks are really, really different from each other and share almost no cards outside of like just premium uncommons and stuff. So you could have two green and white drafters next to each other at the table, and they could both end up with very good and very, very different decks if they were both like drafting in this way and opposite, on opposite ends of it. Now, as I said, I suspect 
most people who draft green-white aren't drafting it in either of these ways. But I think you get more value by doing this, by, you know, having a coherent plan to, you know, focus on doing a thing to make your cards uh, perform the best that they can. So these are the things that I'm thinking about and the cards that I'm prioritizing when I'm drafting green and white in this format. I mentioned that I wanted to tie this into more general lessons and stuff you can apply to other formats. And I do think that green and white often go this way. I know that in Crimson Vow, for example, which is the uh, like flashback format on Arena right now, green and white was really, really, or like green white was really bad in that set because training was the featured mechanic and training was kind of a flop. And so that was a, you know, set where you could theoretically draft the like linear deck, except the linear deck was just unplayable. And so the thing that I talked about doing in the podcast then that I did a tiny bit to okay success was just draft lowest possible curve, all the combat tricks, the exact same ideas that I'm talking about in the aggro build of green, white in this set. There are just a lot of sets where there are efficient green and white tricks that go very, very late, and you can just draft the cheapest creatures and a bunch of those tricks, and in most sets, you'll have a coherent deck that's made out of like all late pick cards that no one else wants. But also, green typically has ramp, and white typically has defensive removal, and you can, in general, also draft kind of this like green-white control idea where you, you know, prioritize whatever defensive green cards there are. You know, there are always some like reach blocker type cards, whatever, you know, value there is in these colors with, uh, you know, whatever kind of like mana ramping there is sometimes powerful rares that you get and all, all the defensive white cards, your, you know, your life gain stuff and your um, efficient defensive removal um cards like cut short or whatever variant exists so so some of the you know i guess what i'm saying is because my takeaway in this format was specifically to minimize doing the thing that this set told me to do and instead just kind of apply general archetypal magic principles to the color combination that i think is something that you can do reasonably well in green white in most formats so uh there you have it that's kind of the thoughts that i have prepared here so um, i'm gonna turn it over to chat for questions about uh green white in this format questions about uh how this applies to green white in general and also uh any you know burning questions that you have to close out uh, March the Machines Limited. Well, anyone uh, offers up some questions there, I want to thank the newest patron of the podcast, Hank. Thank you so much for the support. For anyone else who's a listener, regular listener, feels like they're getting some value out of this, uh, wants to follow along more closely as we get into uh, Lord of the Rings coverage, be sure to check out the 
podcast's Patreon at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes to view the uh, benefits and get involved. So, uh, questions and comments from chat. Uh, this concept for green-white in general is also something that happened for uh, Strixhaven lore, Lorehold decks. Yeah, I think that that's another place where the like explicit synergy failed like you know Stri- lorehold in strixhaven was telling you through cards like quintorius that you're supposed to like care about like getting cards out of your graveyard but all of that stuff was like pretty clunky and bad so you ended up needing to uh just like do whatever you could do with red and white and red white typically wants to be pretty aggressive Lorehold wasn't well set up for it you could try to force it or you could like lean into you know expel and learn and play like a defensive uh value deck with that kind of stuff so yeah that, that's another example of a spot where an archetype where the thing that you're supposed to do just didn't line up right in the format led to kind of leaning on these like general principles to like find your strategic lane and push it and try to like make more than some of your cards out of just like having a strategy. When you first look at winning decks slash colors in a format and see that a deck type is doing well, is the approach to other colors in the format generally the opposite of the best strategy or should you try to play the same game as the best deck? So like you see that blue black is doing well you surmise that blue black is doing well because it has efficient removal and some card advantage and so then you can either say all right does that mean that this format is about efficient removal and card advantage and i should try to like do something similar with other any colors that i'm in or should you say okay everyone's drafting a deck that's about efficient removal and card advantage what can I do that beats that? And I think the answer is you just have to analyze what is possible in whatever colors happen to be open for you in the draft that you're in. Like the the best performing color combination does the thing, like does well by doing the thing that it does in part because it does something that's good in the format but likely more because its good cards are good and happen to do that thing. And probably the cards in the other colors don't do that thing as well. And so it's hard to have a better version of that deck by trying to get the same effects with cards that are less well-suited to it. So in general, I would say that you should accept that that deck, especially on Arena where like if you're drafting at high ranks you'll play against the best decks over and over kind of dictate the terms of engagement and then draft decks that engage with that reasonably that's very much what i'm talking about doing with green white where you know the efficient removal in a forest dispersal and cut short and deadly derision that we see in the best performing decks in blue black and blue white dictate what the you know rules of engagement are and tell you this like linear synergy build of error strategy is not going to work and so you need to figure out what you can do that will thrive um in that kind of environment and i think that that's more likely going to be 
what the pressure is, then say, okay, I'll try to do exactly what they're doing in a different color combination. More general question. Lots of people have uh, marked the machines as an all-time great format. Do I agree? I think it's a complicated question. I think um, that much like original Dominaria, this set felt really, really good to draft early on because it came on the heels of one of my least favorite and one of a lot of other people's least favorite draft formats in recent years, arguably of all time. And moving from a format that gives you very little room to a format that gives you more room and gives you a lot of things to do with mana. I think that like the way that mana works in like Phyrexia All We Won is completely opposite the way that mana works in March the Machines, and the way that mana works in the March in March the Machines is like strictly more fun. Specifically, I think that in one you have not enough to spend your mana on. In March the Machines you have too much to spend your mana on. And having too much to spend your mana on just means that you have decisions, where having not enough to spend your mana on means that you don't have decisions. So it's like basically strictly better. So it, it benefited a lot from just being a relief from a format that was pretty bad. I think that this format has a lot of good play to it, a lot of fun cards, a good amount of like different build arounds and directions that you can go with decks. I think that this is among the princiest, bomb heaviest formats that have existed. I'm kind of surprised by how few complaints I generally see about that compared to a format like Crimson Vow, where I think that this format is more bomb heavy and more and like more games are determined by rares than a format like Crimson Vow. I typically like that. I like how rares shake up games and shake up drafts, but this format definitely has more games than most formats that feel kind of hopeless because of the quality of the top end of the cards. And this format also has more drafts and more packs where it just feels like there's nothing that you can do because the average commons are so much worse than the top end cards and some packs just don't have any top end cards. There have been several episodes where I've like gone to look at the win rates for the commons and just everything is in the like 53 to 55% range. Um, none of the commons feel like they matter when they're just all within 2% of each other and none of them are actively good. And that can lead to drafts where you feel like you don't have a lot of agency. I think that this is like a good format rather than a bad format, but I think that uh, ultimately this format won't age especially well. And like as far as flashback drafts and stuff, I would likely be somewhat less enthusiastic about this format than like some of the best of all time, I guess. I haven't played green-white control yet because I end up adding black to have sufficient removal and base green makes it seem viable. What level of value would you need to branch into a third color? Yeah, not a ton of value. Like this is, you know, how to draft the green-white 
version of this deck when you have like heavy green and white pip requirements or when green wipes particularly open but certainly the control version as i mentioned bleeds very smoothly into a three four or five color green deck and you you know should certainly take strong cards of other colors over weak cards of this color when they're there and that will naturally lead to pivoting or adding uh, other colors frequently like pretty often this question is wildly off topic but i'm a fan so i guess i'll acknowledge it uh do you think nathan stoyer's recent achievements put him up there with the best players of all time yes very obviously nathan is great and very young and will only continue to get better presumably faster than a vast majority of his opponents um i have no doubt about uh nathan being among the best players of all time now and that being more obviously true moving forward do you think a format that leans toward big games tends to make the bombs less impactful at a format that leads towards small games that's structurally kind of definitionally true but i don't know that it has very much of an impact Oh, do you want Intercessor any more than usual in green-white control? Yes, very much so. It's generally not a card I like very much, and I listed it as a card that I'm looking for in green-white. Yes, a little bit. I say a little bit because it really depends on the exact nature of the equipment. Fundamentally, equipment grinds well, sort of, but some equipment is about pushing damage, and then you don't really want to be playing an attrition game because you want to be playing a tempo game. I guess, no, I guess the answer is no. Because red-white equipment is usually an aggro deck that is more tempo than attrition, but equipment can help you grind when you have to, I guess is the better answer there. All right. Thanks, everyone, who's still listening, even this late in the uh, format. And I'm looking forward to getting into Lord of the Rings uh, next week. Um, so... Have a good week, and I'll uh, be back for that. Bye for now, everyone. Prepare for light speed.